Good morning. I'm Allison Michaels with The Washington Post, and this is The Daily 202 for Monday, May 18th. James is out, but I'll be here instead with the day's top headlines. Here's three stories that should be on your radar. Number one. Four months into the U.S. coronavirus outbreak, tests for the virus are finally becoming widely available. Now, that's a crucial step toward lifting stay-at-home orders and safely returning to normal life. But while many states no longer report crippling supply shortages, my Washington Post colleagues Steve Thompson, Juliet Elperin, and Brady Dennis report a new problem has emerged. Too few people are lining up to get tested. A Washington Post survey of governor's offices and state health departments found at least a dozen states where testing capacity outstrips the supply of patients. Many have scrambled to make testing more convenient, especially for vulnerable communities, by setting up pop-up sites and developing apps that help assess symptoms, find free test sites, and deliver quick results. But the numbers, while rising, are well short of capacity and far short of targets set by independent experts. Utah, for example, is conducting about 3,500 tests a day. That's a little more than a third of its 9,000 test maximum capacity. Health officials have even erected highway billboards begging drivers to get tested for COVID-19. So why aren't more people showing up? Experts say several factors may be preventing more people from seeking tests, including a lingering sense of scarcity, a lack of access in rural and underserved communities, and skepticism about testing operations. Another major hurdle, lingering confusion about who qualifies. In the earliest days of the outbreak, Americans were told that only the sickest and most vulnerable should get tested while others should stay home. Last month, the Centers of Disease Control and Prevention relaxed its guidelines to offer tests to people without symptoms who are referred by local health departments or clinicians. Some states have since relaxed their testing criteria dramatically. Georgia Governor Brian Kemp has encouraged all Georgians, even if they're not experiencing symptoms, to schedule an appointment. And Oklahoma Governor Kevin Stitt urged residents earlier this month to call 211 and find a location close to you, even if you don't have symptoms and you're just curious. Elsewhere, officials scarred by shortages have been hesitant to follow suit. Last week, Harvard researchers estimated that the United States should be testing at least 900,000 people a day, or about 8% of the population per month. At that rate, they say, local officials would get a clear sense of the spread of the virus, and they'd be able to detect clusters of infection in the early stages. They could then move to isolate people who test positive or have been exposed. That process is known as contact tracing. A White House estimate obtained by The Post shows that the nation has sufficient lab capacity to process at least 400,000 tests per day, and potentially many more. But in surveying the states, The Post found that there are few testing at full capacity. In 20 states that provided detailed information, the number of tests performed was roughly 235,000 per day lower than their technical capacity, with the biggest gaps in California and New Jersey. Lab capacity remains untapped for many reasons, including lingering supply shortages. While most states say they are now able to test people in hospitals, nursing homes, prisons, and other frontline settings, many continue to be hampered by a lack of personal protective equipment, nasal swabs, and the chemicals necessary to process tests. And even with the need for more testing to help Americans resume normal life, some experts worry that widespread shortages could return. Number two, 
Tensions between the White House and the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention spilled out into public view on Sunday. A top advisor to President Trump, White House Trade Advisor Peter Navarro, criticized the public health agency's response to the novel coronavirus pandemic. Speaking on NBC's Meet the Press, Navarro sharply criticized the CDC over its production of a flawed coronavirus test kit that contributed to a nationwide delay in testing. Navarro's comments, as reported by my colleagues Felicia Sonmez and Daryl Fears, are the latest sign of how the Trump administration has sought to sideline the CDC. The agency typically plays the lead role in public health crises, but in recent weeks, the CDC's draft guidance for reopening were held up by the White House. And without that guidance, states and localities were largely left to fend for themselves. With the coronavirus pandemic in the United States now in its third month, some in the White House are increasingly taking aim at the CDC and the leadership of its director, Robert Redfield. In addition to the issue of testing, White House officials say they are also frustrated by what they consider the agency's bulky flow of information and the leak of an early version of its reopening recommendations. Trump, meanwhile, made only brief remarks Sunday as he returned to the White House from Camp David. In an exchange with reporters, he maintained that, quote, tremendous progress is being made on many fronts, including coming up with a cure for this horrible plague that has beset our country. But statistics from some states paint a less than rosy picture. Texas reported its largest single-day jump in coronavirus cases on Saturday, with 1,801 newly confirmed cases. New York, the state hardest hit by the pandemic, has seen a decline in new cases since April. But officials remain wary of a potential increase as parts of the state begin to reopen. Governor Andrew Cuomo on Sunday received a COVID-19 swab test on live TV in an effort to convince residents to get tested if they're experiencing symptoms. Number three. Before I leave you today, here's a story of hardship among a group risking their lives to keep cities moving. Transit workers are paying a heavy price during the pandemic. The COVID-19 deaths were piling up so fast that New York City bus driver Danny Cruz began to worry that no one understood the toll the virus was taking on his fellow transit workers. So in early April, as my colleagues Justin George and Greg Jaffe report, that bus driver, Danny Cruz, began keeping a list of those killed by the disease and posting it on Facebook. Cruz had lost a friend and a fellow driver at his depot to the novel coronavirus a few days earlier. He himself had also tested positive. On April 7th, when the death toll by his count was 41, Cruz wrote, Every morning I wake up and one of the hardest things I have to do is try to keep this updated. Every time I have to add a name, my heart loses a beat. Why is this happening? Why were we not better prepared? How many members will we have to lose? By Cruz's count, 129 New York City transit workers have died of COVID-19. As offices, stores, and restaurants reopen in the coming days and weeks, trains and buses will almost certainly see more passengers. For transit workers, the return to normal life only exacerbates their fears. Across the country, an estimated 430,000 public transit workers, including train operators and bus drivers like crews, have kept systems operating, moving essential workers like doctors, nurses, and first responders who have been hailed as heroes. By comparison, the lower-paid and largely minority transit workers said they are often abused by riders and insufficiently protected by their employers. No transit system in the nation has been as hard hit by the pandemic as New York City's and its 74,000 workers. At least 10,000 Metropolitan Transit Authority employees have been quarantined during the outbreak. 
The novel coronavirus has sickened or killed transit workers in nearly every major system in the country. Transit and union officials, many of whom were slow to recognize the threat that the virus posed to their workforces, have scrambled to implement new safety measures like more frequent cleanings, adjusting boarding processes to isolate drivers, and requiring passengers to wear face coverings. Such measures may have helped slow the virus's spread, but they have not done much to lessen the anxiety of transit employees who have lost coworkers, infected family members, and are regularly being asked to take unprecedented risks. In Seattle, a bus driver who recently lost his wife, who was also a driver, is left to raise three children while he contemplates continuing in a job that may have exposed his wife to the virus that killed her. In Washington, D.C., where 81 metro workers have tested positive for the coronavirus as of Friday, a bus operator who spent three weeks fighting COVID-19 recently returned to work, but with mental scars that made her afraid of everything she touches or any cough or sneeze she hears on board. On the Facebook page where Cruz posts his lists, workers routinely complain that they feel pressured to return to work too soon after their systems abate. And they routinely worry that the transportation authorities' stepped-up efforts at cleaning buses and trains are not good enough. And that's The Daily 202 for Monday, May 18th. James will be back with you tomorrow. Stay safe, and thanks so much for listening. 